0: And at the very end, I said, I want you to know, I will always need you. I want you to know, I will always love you. But I want you to know that you gave me so much by the way you lived your life. You gave me the true meaning of freedom.
1: This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app so that you don't miss a single episode. In 1961, members of the Alabama Air National Guard secretly took part in the failed invasion of Cuba by US-backed Cuban exiles known as the Bay of Pigs Invasion. It was a covert attempt by the United States to overthrow the Soviet-allied Cuban government of Fidel Castro. Pete Ray was one of eight Alabama Guardsmen who flew combat missions on April 19, 1961, which resulted in the deaths of Pete and three members of the Alabama unit. U.S. President John F. Kennedy later acknowledged America's involvement but denied that American military personnel had entered Cuban territory. It was not until 1987 that the US revealed that the eight Alabama National Guard members had indeed flown into Cuban airspace. We hear from Pete Ray's daughter Janet, who has tirelessly worked to find out the truth of what happened that day despite the best efforts of the CIA, the Cubans and the US government to obstruct her investigations. Cold War history is disappearing, but a simple monthly donation will keep this project going and allow me to continue preserving these incredible stories. You'll join our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Hi, this is Tree from Berlin. I decided to support Cold War Conversations with a monthly subscription for a couple of reasons. I believe it's so important and interesting to hear these stories from that period, good and bad. Books will tell you so much, but the real-life stories from people who were there make it so real. Just go to coldwarconversations.com donate. I'm delighted to welcome Janet Ray to our Cold War Conversation.
0: My earliest memory of my father was going down to the Alabama Air Guard and meeting his plane when it came in, searching through the flight zippers, because he always had some little, you know, little gift for us, so, and he grew up within a mile of the gate of the Alabama Air Guard, joined when he was 15, still in high school, he always wanted to fly and his math teacher in high school said he was not my best student but he was the one who tried the hardest and if he missed a question he would come back and say how do I do this and he one time asked my dad and he said why are you you so intent on this he says because I want to fly and I have to have math
1: on Pete's last day of high school, he didn't even wait to receive his diploma. He was so keen to become a pilot, he was already making his way to Texas. Too young to join up officially, he'd lied about his age and started his training with the Alabama Air Guard.
0: He starts off with the Air Guard, goes to active duty Air Force, comes back to the Air Guard, and he's also working at Hayes Aircraft in Birmingham, which modified... Um, planes. A lot of the guard units worked there. And at the time of the Bay of Pigs, he was actually on Army active duty because he was transferring from the air guard to the Army guard. The goal was he was going to fly helicopters.
1: It was at this point the CIA approached Pete. He was hired as part of the massive air support the United States had promised more than 1,400 US trained Cuban exiles. They were about to invade Cuba two years after Fidel Castro's revolution had overthrown the military dictatorship of President Batista.
0: He got a call from General Doster and he was head of the Alabama Air Guard at the time. They sent a, I remember going with my mom to take him to the airport. They sent a jet down to pick him up and take him back to Birmingham and this is in January of 1961. He comes home and he said, we're moving back to Birmingham. We check out of school the next day. He's arranged for us to move move in with my mother's parents because our house in Alabama was rented at the time and I would say within Less than a week, we were on our way back to Birmingham.
1: The CIA's intention was to hide any US involvement, and Pete was to train the Cubans to fly the B 26 World War II era bomber for three months in secret Guatemalan and Nicaraguan bases. The Alabama National Guard was one of the few units still flying this type, and Pete was also to fly raids during the invasion itself, but carry no identification to minimize any traces of U.S. involvement.
0: Within a few days of us getting back to Birmingham, we took him to the uh, commercial field because they were all told, don't all fly on the same plane, come down separately. Well, they were all on the same plane going down. You were allowed to tell one person, but you were not supposed to tell your wife. And he told his uncle, which... uh, Coming from a large family, his uncle was just a few years older than him. After we dropped him off, one day between Easter and the the Bay of Pigs starting, I think very close, one night there's a ruckus. I'm in bed in the bunk beds, I'm on the top with the dog, and we hear this commotion and I hear his voice, so I jump off the bed. and. He was supposed to say he comes in on a Thursday, and he was supposed to stay the weekend. And there was a big family reunion because we're told he's away at a special flying school. Each each pilot or ground crew, there was well over 100 from Alabama, had developed their own cover story. And I had come home from school early that Friday. I got out earlier. I was in first grade. And we, I was sitting in the kitchen with him. We were having a banana sandwich. My mom is washing dishes. And I looked down at his leg and I see a tan line. And he's very fair. And I said, where have you really been? Have you been to the beach without me? My mother breaks something. My dad gets up, walks out of the room, comes back wearing a long pair of pants and he never answered me. And my stomach flipped. I said, something is wrong. And that was my first hint. (laughs) Uh, Saturday morning, my brother and I are watching Tarzan and my mother walks in and she said, I'm going to take your dad to the guard. Do you want to go with me? Come kiss him goodbye. And I just thought he was going to the guard to do some training it was a mile away and all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I said oh my god I saw the green b4 bag he's leaving and I ran down the steps of my grandmother's home and chased him down the street but I never caught him and I ended up falling down and skinning my knees and my hands and just crying I had blood all over my hands but that is the last time I saw him.
1: On the 17th of April 1961, over 1,400 paramilitaries divided into five infantry battalions and one paratrooper battalion assembled and launched from Guatemala and Nicaragua by boat. Two days earlier, eight CIA-supplied B-26 bombers had attacked Cuban airfields and returned to the US. On the night of the 17th of April, the main invasion force landed at the Bay of Pigs, where it overwhelmed a local revolutionary militia. However, the invaders lost the strategic initiative and as the international community found out about the invasion, US President John F. Kennedy decided to withhold further air support. Without air support, the invasion was being conducted with fewer forces than the CIA had deemed necessary and the force was defeated within three days by the Cuban Revolutionary Armed Forces and the invaders surrendered on the 20th of April most of the invading troops were publicly interrogated and put into Cuban prisons.
0: What I become aware of, something is wrong. I'm at the grade school across from my grandmother's house and we're out at recess. And I see this very nice shiny car and a man standing outside of it with a suit on. And in Tarrant, Alabama, Men did not wear suits except for Sunday. And those kind of cars were not in Tarrant. And I remember standing there gripping the fence so tight. And it was rusty. And they got called in for recess. And all of a sudden, I'm by myself on the, on the field. And I realized something is wrong. So after school, I run home my dog is not there to meet me. And I said, what's going on? Where's mom? And they said, well, she's resting in the front bedroom. And that was a very nice bedroom. The shades were pulled down. And I went in there and my my mother's eyes were just dead. And my dog, Chase, was laying beside her on the bed. And my grandmother said, she's sick. And I said, what's wrong? What's wrong? Something's on whose car? And I got, my grandfather had come home from work and they had come in. They always come in groups of two and they had told my mother that my father was working for a group of wealthy Cubans and his cargo plane had gone down in the Caribbean and they didn't know if he was dead or alive.
1: Contradicting stories start to raise the suspicions of the relatives.
0: My grandmother, they told her, if you open your mouth, it will be like putting a bullet in his head. Violet Gray, another widow, she got so hysterical that there was a Cuban guy there. He yells out, well, we saw the engine floating. And she said, engines don't float. So and and in fact, they got to the point to where they just couldn't tell another family member what happened. And there was rumors these guys were away. Because remember, this is the Alabama Air Guard. These men went to school together. They lived near us. They played sports together. Their families were together. We were in church. This is just not some CI gays from all over the country. This is a tight-knit, all-American group of guys. And Violet started saying, Who are the other widows? And they finally, they made her mother leave the room and then they told her who the other widows were. And she had been on the phone with people saying, why is your husband home and my husband's not home?
1: One of the surviving pilots reveals some more information to the families.
0: Jimmy Bond came on and said, I can't answer any questions. And Violet screamed at him so much He said, if you'll turn all your lights outside, I will come to your house. He came to her house. He told her, Wade Gray is dead. That's all I can tell you. And she never saw this person again. And that happened numerous times with all the pilots. Uh, Lying was the biggest mistake they could have made.
1: The U.S. government decide to reveal the deaths, but in order to distance U.S. involvement, they describe Pete and his comrades as mercenaries, soldiers of fortune who were paid to fight rather than being in the service of their country.
0: They finally came back and said, "Okay, they're dead, you can tell the family. The Friday, I think it's May 5th, uh, Alan Shepard goes up into space. That's the day they release it but they did not prepare us that they were going to destroy their reputation, thereby destroying the families. My dad had a photo printed in the paper that said, Nice nest egg. My dad is supposed to have said that. There is, these men knew what they were getting into, but they gambled at, with their lives uh, and lost. Uh, it, it was so devastating. I have never seen grown men mad, Wh- women crying, men crying. It devastated us.
1: As a six-year-old, Janet struggles to come to terms with the news of her father's death.
0: The first day I go to school, the teacher says, write your name. I threw up on my desk. Because I couldn't write anymore, and every since that day I will have trouble writing. Sometimes my hand just won't move, or the the, the spelling don't won't come to me. But it, it's something you just learn to live with. But when I went home that day, my mom was my dog wasn't waiting, and. Chase had been run over and this is a dog that I had since a little puppy. My dad had fed Chase through an eyedropper. I fell apart on that day more than any day and I think the two things I loved the most were gone but my dad had always said take care of Chase and it was Chase who I held at night. And it was so difficult.
1: The families are given compensation, but under the strict condition that they don't reveal anything they know about their husbands and fathers.
0: And we were told you would get twice monthly checks coming in, $225. We had no proof that we would get this. It got to the point where they said, if you don't keep your mouth closed... We will cut off your money. It was like these women were being threatened. The widows would get together. Everybody would talk about rumors. We started noticing strange things that were happening. Uh, I, I one night was looking out my back window. And at night, before I went to bed, just looking at the stars, and I saw a cigarette. Up behind our house, one house over on the hill in the woods. Well, I would go to that spot and investigate it. I would find Lucky Stripes, cigarettes, uh, Campbell cigarettes, unfiltered cigarettes, gum, wrappers. Now, I'm six and seven. Somebody was watching us, watching us to protect. I don't know. We were not allowed to pick up the phone anymore. Violet Gray actually made several trips to Miami with Wade Gray's brother. And it was very hard for Violet because she had lost her brother in World War II as a POW. Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia. And I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people
1: and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to slash donate to find out more. Uh,
0: and Violet's mom had said when Wade left, she says, He's never coming back. I can, I know. But then it, it became a cycle of, of fear that these women, shades were down, double locks were put on the door, and there would be all these occurrences happening. Now, at the same time, my mom is trying to reach out to her friends that she went to high school with. They were my dad's friends. They played on football, and most of them wouldn't come to the door uh I had a gentleman that lived down from us, Roy Wilson. I called him Mr. Roy. I spoke to him every time. He would run from me if he saw me, run into his house, and I would see him there, and he would not come to the screen door.
1: One night, one of the pilots covertly comes to Janet's house to tell her mother the truth about Pete.
0: My mom is washing dishes. I'm sitting at the kitchen table. And someone comes up the alleyway to the back window where the kitchen was. And he said, Margaret, it's Dalton. Turn out all the lights. And my mom goes to the window and she says, Dalton, what's going on? Where's Pete? What's the truth? And he said, I cannot tell you the truth. And he said, but one day I will come back when I'm cleared and tell you the truth. But I want you to know. Pete is dead. And my mom trusted these people. All these widows trusted these other guys involved. And they should have had come to us and those be the one to tell us. We trusted them. We knew them.
1: The campaign of intimidation gets more threatening.
0: I remember leaving my house one day, going to school, and I'm like seven by this time, and there was you had to walk up to the woods, and there was a tree. There were my dolls hung by their necks with red writing on it. I'm screaming hysterically, trying to go with these dolls, which I didn't even really like them because i I preferred my dog to the dolls, but my dad had given me. Well, Santa had given me a tiny tears doll. My dad thought it would make me be less of a tomboy, but it didn't work. And then they came in again, and they would sit and question me, where did you leave those dolls? I said, I don't play with them. They stay in my room sitting in a chair over and over. And then I said, I want my dolls back. Well, why can't I have them? Well, there's dirty words written on them. But I don't know what it was, but I learned as a child, you know most kids don't like the dark and then I I made myself, I said, the night has to become my friend. If somebody's watching us from outside, if it's dark, I can see them too. And I started collecting things. Uh, one day I went, my mother would walk around, with something in a pillowcase, and one day I walked in her bedroom and I slipped my hand under her pillow, and I felt something cold. And I pulled out a pistol. And that is the first gun I had ever seen in my life. Um, we had We had incidents where one night the dryer came on downstairs. My mom went to go down in the basement. She slams the door. She immediately calls her father to come over. And somebody had gotten into our basement and filled that dryer with sand. Uh, But all the doors were locked. So we don't know how they got in. We don't know if it was someone just harassing us. Violet Gray would, neighbors would call her and say, there's a car sitting in your driveway. And Violet would look out and see it. And if she went out to go to it, the car would speed away. She ended up putting iron bars on her doors. And they, all the women, heard noise on their phones. So we never spoke about something on the phone. We would go to people's houses in the dead of the night, have the meeting uh and and i would always arrange to listen in to what was going on uh but these women had a fear we were given an attorney in alabama who started sexually harassing the women more my mom and violet because they were they were very homebodies they were there when the church door opened Uh, I won't say what happened to my mom. Uh, I have all the documentation, but Violet, one time this attorney grabbed her in the kitchen. He was not aware her mother was in the house. And this is a Southern woman. Uh, Mrs. Gray grabs the broom, beats the hell out of him all the way to the house, down the steps to the car and breaks the broom over the car. Uh, They one time took my mom and them on a tour of the courthouse. They, my mom and Violet walked in. I think Jane Schamberger was with them. And they said, if you ladies don't stop talking to the press, we can cut off your money. Your children will be taken care of. And a lot of people say that's just so unbelievable. But I thank God, I have a lot of the documentation from writing back and forth and the the fear that these somebody was was trying to keep us quiet. And everybody my mom had known from school that was involved in it. They 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 never would talk to us ever again. My grandmother had called the air guard and asked to speak to General Hannah. And he said, I think you 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 deserve the truth. I'll arrange an appointment tomorrow, and we. I will sit down and we'll tell you the truth. And General Hannah was a tough guy. He had been down in Phoenix, Alabama, to, to quarrel all the race problems down there. Well, my grandmother gets a phone call from someone and said, General Hannah cannot talk to you. Do not contact him ever again. Yeah, you know, They didn't identify, and after that, General Han- Hannah would never take a phone call from her.
1: Janet decides to take things into her own hands and starts to research and try and find out what really happened to her father.
0: And you have to understand, I'm six years old. I, I'm not that great at reading. So through my life, it, it becomes, as I learn to read, my mom remarries right before my sixth grade year, and we moved to San Antonio, Texas, to Lackland Air Force Base. She married a uh, Air Force flight surgeon. And, of course, I pitched a fit. <laughs> but when I got there, it became my Mayberry. I could get on my bike. I could get on the blue bus, and I could get to the library. And I would cut lawns or babysit. And cutting lawns with a push mower, so I could earn the money to go to the library and make copies of any and everything I could find on CA, on Cuba. And I remember the librarian a lot of time. They would ask, "Why? You know, you're you're a little girl. Why are you doing this?" I thought, "Oh, I'm just interested in." It. And one time, a pilot that was leaving to go back to Vietnam, he said, "You you're hiding something." What are you looking at? Why are you so interested in the Bay of Pigs? And I said, well, the reason I'm interested in it is because we had to hide under our desk for fear of Fidel Castro dropping a bomb on us. And I actually felt nobody. Remember, you. we start practicing to get under our desks in case the nukes are sent. And nobody in my school had any idea who Fidel Castro, I had no idea who he was, but I it became a war between Fidel Castro and I, and I was not going to let anybody break that bond of loyalty and love, and I was going to learn the truth, and I was going to f- bring my father home. I wasn't prepared for how much opposition I would have from the the CA, and they actually had a program which uh, against me to quiet the daughter's curiosity. I was very insulted when I found out about it. I said, "This wasn't curiosity. This was a code of loyalty." But the more they pushed back on me, they would come, they would talk to you, the more I knew I was on the right track. We go to my, my great-grandmother, Granny Bailey. It was my dad's grandmother. She had had 11 children. My dad was her, my mom, my grandmother, Mary Ray, was her oldest. My dad was the, her oldest grandchild. And one night, it, this is just a little three-bedroom home. You walk through one bedroom to get to the other one. And she, they were all talking about, what are we going to do about Janet? She's not letting it go. And the reason we would go to her house to have conferences is because nobody would come down that street. Uh, all the other cars, cars could be passing by or sit around. And my granny Bailey saw me hiding under her front bed. I was spying again. And she walks in. She pulls me out the bed underneath my feet. She grabs the quilt, and we go out on the front porch. Now, this is December, and we're sitting out there, and we're rocking back and forth. She's wrapped me in this quilt. She says, I don't want you to listen to anybody in there. You listen to your heart. You fight for your dad and you will find your dad. And she says, I will always be here for you. And she even said, you don't even have to listen to that CIA. You don't have to listen to anybody. And it kind of gave me permission to disobey. And she says, I promise you when I'm gone, I will send someone to take your hand.
1: However, her other relatives try and put her off further investigations.
0: One time, my mom would get my aunts and uncles to try to reason with me. And one of my uncles, I was visiting him in Missouri, and we're out walking in the cow pasture. And he says, you know, Jam, you need to control your mind. He said, you didn't know Pete like we did. We knew Pete, and when you bring this up, it hurts him. So by this time, I wasn't saying anything hardly to them. And I said, you're right, Uncle Bill. I didn't know him, but he was my father, and I have a right to know him, the good and the bad. I have a right, and I'm not going to stop. And it, it, I think they finally realized I was not going away. At one point, Captain Eddie Ferrer and some of the pilots had invited us to come to Miami. Well, immediately, my mom gets on the phone to the CA, and the CA is, Oh, you can't go. It's not safe. You're upsetting your mom. I mean, they were always calling me. And I said, Well, then, why don't you guys tell me the truth? I want to talk to the people who were there. I want to talk to my dad's friends. I know they'll talk to me if you'll let them do it. And they wouldn't do it. So they said, yeah, but there's a good Eddie Ferrer and there's a bad Eddie Ferrer. We don't know which one this is. But I went to Miami anyway. And when I walked in that room with those pilots, these are guys who had flown courageously. They spoke without fears. They spoke like pilots. They used their hands. And I started soaking it all. Up, the, it was another part of the puzzle I started putting together.
1: Frustrated by a lack of progress from her own government, Janet decides to contact the Cubans.
0: When I'm 15, I start writing Fidel Castro letters. They go all different ways, they go uh, any, any way you could imagine. They go before it was over. About eight years later, before he came home, I had sent over 200 forms of communication to him. Do I know if he got them all? No. It's now
1: 1975 and Janet is at Granny Bailey's funeral. And just as Granny Bailey had predicted, her guardian angel appears.
0: It's hot in Alabama and I'm standing under this big oak tree at this country church. Just feeling like who's gonna fight for me? Who's gonna be the one that doesn't feel sorry for me? Because I never wanted that, I never wanted pity. I wanted I wanted the truth. And up walks my dad's first cousin, Tom Bailey, who was 13 when my dad died. I had seen Tom, but never spoken about this because you did not bring the bay of pigs up. And he said, "I hear you've been looking for your dad. Can I join you?" And unknown to me, he was an editor at the Birmingham News. And he goes to the Birmingham News, explains the situation, and now the the Birmingham News was very patriotic. They said, "You've got our full support. Write anything you want. We will let we'll let you do whatever." It is. And so now I, it wasn't just me. It was the power of the press. And Tommy had skills that I didn't possess. He, he was older. He understood politics. And so he wrote some of the best stories about it. He probably could have gotten a Pulitzer, but he stayed faithful to the family because our goal was to get my father to to learn the truth, and to bring him home. Uh, we started four-year acts with the agency. They never came to anything, but finally things were kind of, they started saying, well, it's no longer classified, but nobody would talk to us even then.
1: Janet's investigations discover that there are photos of her father's body. The CIA denies any knowledge. However, author Peter Wyden contacts her.
0: Peter Wyden is given two photos, one of my dad and his co-pilot, Leo Baker. So Peter Wyden, he wants to meet with us, so I meet with him. My cousin Tom Bailey comes with me, and we recorded the conversation, but I was very guarded on what I said. And he says, well, I have photos of your dad. I had met with Castro and Fernandez Mel, who was head of Castro's army at the time, at the Central Australia Sugar Mill, just up the top of the Bay of Pigs. That was the area my dad was bombing his headquarters. Later on, Peter Wyden is given these names. Well, my dad flew with no identification. And I had verified this. I knew this before. I had spoken to Bobby Whitley, who had gone to high school with him, worked on the radios. And Bobby had spoken to my dad that night, right before he took off. And he said, your dad handed me his wallet and your photos. And he opened the wallet up, and my dad said, don't worry, there's no money in there. I might need it in Havana tomorrow night. So I knew my dad... Had did not have his alias papers on him. Leo Baker flew with his Burles is the name he used, and he used Boston as his hometown because he had lived there. So, what happens is the Cubans are describing they have the body of my dad, but When I I asked Peter Wyden, I said, please send me those photos. By this time, I'm married. I'm living in Germany at Hahn Air Base. My husband's flying F-4s. He's sitting nuclear alert. I get the photos, and I open them up, and I don't want to say it's my dad. I just cannot say it. Well, the photos are mislabeled. And I remember when Peter Wyden told me of photos, I called the CIA up. And I said, oh, the photos have materialized and I'm going to get the photos. I go, we know nothing about any photos.
1: Janet gets a surprise message via a knock at the door in the middle of the night.
0: At one point, I was living in Germany and my husband's deployed to Zaragoza, Spain for bombing practice. We live out in a little village. I think there was one red light within about 30 or 40 miles and somebody pounds my door like two or three in the morning. I jump up with my g- gown. I run to the door. It's called you know, Han, it's always foggy. <laughs> and I'm you could hear you could have heard a pin drop. And I'm outside, who are you? Where are you? And I wander around. Finally, we have this one little street light. And I get under the street light and I'm barefooted and I'm in my nightgown. And it says you were to fly home to Washington D.C. You were to stay in this hotel. You were to call the Czechoslovakian embassy. You were to ask for this person. They will be very rude to you, but they will call you back in two hours. Well, I immediately grab a backpack, throw some clothes in there, call my girlfriend. Said you got to get me a Rhine, Maine. Air base. I got to get home to the states, and uh, she says, "What? What's going on?" I said, "Just c- contact my husband and tell him I've gone to DC because there was no way of getting in touch with him except through the base." So I get uh, I get to Rhine, Maine, and there, uh, well, the last plane's taking off, and it's still dark, and I said, "I'm." Talking to the controllers, hysterical woman as usual, and I'm saying, "Stop that plane! Get the pilots something! I need to get back to the states!" And I explain. So then the guy he calls him, he lets me talk to him, and I hear—I don't know if it's the pilot or the co-pilot—and he said there were Americans who died in the in the Bay of Pigs. Put her in the follow me truck, put some earphones over, you know, to block out the noise and get her on the plane. And I got on the plane and we took off immediately. And then they said, they called me at the cockpit and they started talking to me. And they said, Do you even have any money? I didn't have a penny to my name, but I had gotten my first credit card in the mail. And they took up a collection. I I went into, I think, the Carolinas. That's where I flew into. I ended up going to visit my mom. And while I was in Selma, there was a retired judge who was going to Washington to see his dear friend, Senator Sparkman, who was head of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee from Alabama. And... I that's who I plan to go see, and they said, Well, he said, Well, Judge Reynolds will meet you up there and and take you to go see Senator Sparkman. So I'm in Senator Sparkman's office. It's it's the Judge Reynolds, it's Steve Miller, his assistant, and his secretary, his right hand, Octa Watson, very Southern, very tall woman. And He's like, oh, no, you you, you cannot go to the Cuban embassy. They're going to use you. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And finally, Okta Watson goes, John, may I say something? He says, yes, Octa. She says, I suggest you support her because she's going to make that phone call. And she's going to the wherever they tell her to go no matter what. And he looked at me and he said, are you going to disobey me? And I said, oh, yes, I am. So then he assigns Steve Miller to go with me and we make the call. We end up going to the Cuban intersection, which is across the street from the embassy because we don't have diplomatic relations. And they were very nice, very dry. Uh, I did it, uh, they searched my purse and everything. I'm sure they copied my IDs. That's when the relations starts going back officially through the government. And uh, when I get back to Han Air Base, I get hauled in by saying, "Are you aware of what your husband's security clearance is?" and I said, "I don't know anything secret." They said, "Yes, but you know things like who's having an affair, who has a drinking problem." I said, "Well, I'm not going to talk about it." And so I got the the big beano no" lecture. Uh, they were very they were very concerned that I had this relationship going on
1: Peter Wyden discloses some surprising news
0: Wyden he's he for the first time he said Castro says he has the body of an American pilot and he will release him but it took us 18 months because we it was like it was like I was caught within Fidel Castro's spider web and the closer I got, the more demands he came up with. And at one point, they sent back and said, oh, they cannot find a body there. And uh, I had said, well, I said a mailgram said, 'Well, said, well, if I have to come dig up everybody, I'm going to find a body. Keep looking. I also had... A side, which I had had for many years, a side of going into Cuba, I had met a gentleman through Buck Persons, one of the pilots, uh, a gentleman who had relationship with the Cuban government. His, he was very close to the former president of uh, Mexico's wife. The president was Cardenas. And this woman would contact Saya Sanchez, who was Castro's? It was his mistress. Uh, she was married, but she was someone he trusted. And it is my understanding, is said, "Let the body go home. Let that let that little girl have her butt, bo- her dad's body back." And also, uh, Alex Federico was the person. He had a nephew who was a Russian Mig instructor in Cuba. So these kind of communications were going back and forth. In fact, that it was that contact that led to someone pounding on my door in the middle of the night. And everybody got very upset. They go, the Cubans know where you live. Uh, you know, because when you communicated, you communicated through the uh, APO box and I would go to the Bundespost, which is the German post office, but was located in our post office. And the Germans would go; they could send things directly to Cuba. I couldn't send it through a APO address. And they said, "Are you aware of what you're doing?" Well, I found out later that everybody that that everybody was monitoring all my communications, and they were very short because I didn't have a typewriter. In fact, it was I did have one, but it was missing some keys almost.
1: Janet discovers another photo of her father which shows some disturbing evidence.
0: And I found another photo of my dad because the photo the Cubans had sent us did not show his right temple. It was a very bloody photograph. But I got another photo that showed the right temple. He was executed point blank to the right temple it blew his right eye out you could see the pa- the powder burns and i years later i was able to take that photo to the cubans and he was laying on a patio with very, with decorative tile and i tracked down the de valle family here in miami and i showed them pictures of just the tile three or four members of that family said that was the family home. It was it was nothing fancy when they would go to the sugar mill. And that's our tile. Well, then I showed them the rest of the photo, and it's my dad and it's Leo Baker after their shot.
1: Janet now discovers the truth about what happened to her father.
0: My dad had made it out of the airplane, was wounded in a gun battle, but no nothing major. They just needed to clean the wounds, but they shot him. They executed him point blank at the, the hospital. They were using the the family home at the sugar mill. They executed him at point blank range to the right temple. And this was proven when we got him back with the coroner, Alabama becomes, he comes home and, um, December of 1979 and I had I had learned so much about that but I didn't have you know total proof of the execution until Jay Glass the coroner in Alabama said he didn't die from these he died from the exit execution I do think the Cubans had made a mistake
1: the Cubans start making conditions for the return of the body.
0: Castro says he'll release the body. Then he would come up with all these demands. Well, you need to identify him. So we go to the CIA, said, okay, where's the fingerprints? Oh, we don't have any. Then we go to the F... Nobody had any good... Finally, they said, oh, we have fingerprints, but they're too blurry. Uh, finally, the air guard says, the hell with this, and somebody gets us the correct fingerprints. Also, when my dad was in co- uh, high school, I had always been told he had knocked out his front tooth in a football game. The truth came out, no, no his younger brother had gotten in a fight with the opposing football team and my dad went in to save him or to help and it was a big fight. I don't know why my family had to tell me this lie, but thank God it happened. And I had some dental prints, but my cousin and them go down to his original dentist and get much better prints. We take the dental impressions. We take the stuff... I get copies, and I they're sent to me in Germany. I go down to the base dentist. He makes four or five sets. Okay, I send one back to the State Department so they can send that to Cuba. But not trusting them, I drive up to the Cuban embassy and send it through them. <laughs> I didn't trust my government. And at one point, the Cubans contact Janine Mann, because uh, she worked for the House for and Relations Committee. Because what happened after Sparkman goes, Senator Hal Heflin comes in from Alabama. I fly back. I meet with Senator Hefflin. Well, he can't meet with you. And I said, well, don't worry. I'll sit here every day until he meets me. So finally, he meets with me. Oh, yes, I'm going to help you. We're going to do. So things bogged down. So my cousin, the reporter, happens to be in Washington and he goes to visit Senator Sparkman's staff and they said oh, Senator's not doing anything he thinks that girl has to be crazy if she's going to find a body of someone who died 18 years ago in a war and my cousin Tom Bailey politely goes yep that's my cousin Janet now Senator's aide has just told the largest paper in Alabama that I am crazy. And that will not go over well in Alabama. So Tom is so disgusted with him. He walks out. He goes to uh, see John Buchanan, who's in the house. He tells John Buchanan what has taken place. John Buchanan drops everything. He hears Tommy out calls in his former staffer who's on the House Foreign Relations Committee, and she is a dynamo. She comes over, Tom retells her, they grab it, and they take hold of things.
1: Castro places another condition for the release of Janet's father's body.
0: Well, during this time, the Cubans in Washington approached Janine Mann hinting Basically telling us we need to pay them thirty-six thousand dollars storage charges, and you know the State Department calls me. They said we'll explain till we don't have money. The CA is calling me now. I'm in Germany, and you know there's a time zone. I have no record. I have no recorder on the phone. I actually paid people to babysit my phone whenever I was gone from my house to take the notes. And so I finally said, no, I'm going to handle it. And they, oh no, this is the diplomatic way. I said, the hell with the diplomatic way. I'm sending Fidel Castro, a mailgram." So the next day I'm back at the Boondist post and I said, if you continue with your demands, I will take it to the world press and and let them sit in judgment of you. I refuse to dishonor my father by paying a ransom. I, I had reached the point that, I would have done him wrong if I would have given in to their demands.
1: Castro finally releases Janet's father's body.
0: So all of a sudden, he says, I'm going to release the body. I'm trying to come home from Germany on military hops. I'm pregnant. I've developed a fever. I'm sick. And so I make it home to... Alabama, And I had called Eddie Ferrer to alert the Cubans. And he says, well, he called me baby. He says, what can I do? I said, bring me a Cuban flag. I want to put a Cuban flag on his grave to represent the brotherhood. Because the time my dad and he did volunteer to fly and they did finally get permission for the Americans to fly, They had become brothers. And the night before my dad took off, when he was sitting with Bobby Whitley on the plane, Bobby says to him, you know, Pete, you don't have to go. My dad nods. Then he said, Pete, you know you probably won't come back. And he said, I know Bobby, but just because my president has betrayed the brigade does not give me the right to do the same, because what had happened is the Cubans had gone in to Garthor's room to send a message to the White House, which Gar confirmed it got to the White House, saying, "Give us cover." Now, now they're talking about air coverage, and uh, the White House said, "No, no," and it. It was a bond of a brotherhood. And some people say, well, you know, he didn't have to do it. And I said, yeah, but he gave me so much by the way he lived his life. And I said, you can give your children millions, but he gave me that inner strength to do the right thing. And people say, "Will you regret your dad was ever involved? And I said, no, it was just meant to be.
1: Thomas Pete Willard Ray was buried on December the 8th, 1979, with full military honours. There was a 21-gun salute and four jets flew overhead in his memory. He was buried with the book he was reading when he left Janet and a five-page letter from Janet tucked into the pocket of his uniform.
0: The book To Kill a Mockingbird. He was reading that right before he went to the Bay of Pigs and he gave me the book. And you know, it's about racial injustice. I find it that sometimes you have to fight the war. You have to fight, you might lose, but you still have to fight the war. And that gave me that strength to go against people. And by that time, the book no longer has covers on it. And I, I felt like that was a message because he, I wasn't reading it, but he was telling me that, you know, as he was telling me what he was reading. But those are the things that I love. I wrote him a very long letter that I wanted buried with him. And at the very end, I said, I want you to know I will always need you. I want you to know. I will always love you but I want you to know that you gave me so much by the way you lived your life. You gave me the true meaning of freedom.
1: There are photos and videos illustrating this episode in our episode notes. Look for the link in the podcast information. Now this podcast would not exist without our financial supporters and I want to thank one and all of them for their generous support. If you want to help us, just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information. And you can also join our Facebook group where listeners just like you continue the Cold War conversation. Thanks very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye.